and welcome back to episode 158 of Fully Equipped. I am Ryan Brath, and I am joined today by one and only Mr. Robot, Gene Parente. How are you doing today? I'm hanging in there, RB. Hanging in there. It's just it's just you and I today. Unfortunately, uh, Jonathan is uh, is away. I believe he's in my time zone uh, today. And then uh, Chris is Chris has got a lot of meetings. So uh, unfortunately, well, I would say I don't want to say unfortunately. Uh, you know, just it is. It's you and me. Or maybe we'll do some. Uh, well, do some- I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> say unfortunately, probably for you because I've kind of realized I'm like a cross between a wayward lion and a baboon at a at a circus, and you're like the assistant ringleader jay wall is the ringleader you guys just gotta always gotta keep me a little bit corralled and um i might be a little too much for just one but i'm gonna try to be on my best behavior today how about that well it, it kind of makes me think of that that old simpsons episode where homer accidentally joins the cult and uh they're like that man has the strongest mental fortitude of anyone here <laughs> And he's like, look at him. He's unbelievable. And he looks out the window and he goes, that dog has a poofy tail. And he just goes and chases the dog. <laughs> yeah, I have a bad tendency when it comes to shiny things. But, you know, hey, I'm going to try to stay laser-like focused on this. Well, I used what to, are we I, talking about? <laughs> I used to have a 45-minute podcast where I just talked by myself. So that shouldn't be is, too much uh, difficulty. Yeah, you know, I mean, if it goes totally sideways, just mute me and just ramble. And, you know, I'll just make funny faces. We're good with that. All right. Well, you know, this week is the President's Cup. And the one thing that actually I found this out uh, thanks to uh, one of our editors, because I was going through and I was in basically about to finish an article on the alternate shot and how they can't switch golf balls, because that used to be even back to the Ryder Cup days. Players were not able they had to use one golf ball for all the matches. But now they can actually switch model per hole, which to me, these boys are soft. <laughs> For is my first thought. But secondly, it still puts a huge amount of pressure on the short game if the player misses the green because on par fours, and you know, a lot of par fours or par five, sorry, are drivable or not um set kind of second shot approachable, really. What happens is the person who's usually hitting the approach shot is the one whose golf ball they're going to use. Cause off the tee, I would say a lot of golf balls perform fairly similarly at higher ball speeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, in general, I know it's a very much to generalization but when you're really focused on carry distance but when players start missing the green this is where i'm pretty interested to see because you know those little i mean they practice with the same golf ball all the time all the time all the time and having to change i mean that could get interesting well i can tell you this you know 100 percent, you're right uh the 40 to 60 yard wedge shot when we do golf ball development testing all the top developers in the industry say that's the money shot. That's the shot that all of the tour players are relying on and they want to know how the ball flies. They want to know how the ball stops. They want to know how the ball checks everything about that. From my perspective, I think it's important. I think what can be even worse though is overthinking the differences between the balls. In other words, you know, my recommendation would be just walk up and hit it like it's your golf ball because the differences are pretty small. Now, pretty small on a, um, you know, on a, on a full year where you're hitting the same ball can add up, as we know, one or two strokes is, is the difference between making a cut, making a top 50, making a top 20. So it is important. But in this type of play, 
I think overthinking the differences between the ball is more um, uh, of a of a hindrance than just you know any difference that does exist. Just pretending that you're hitting the same ball that you're playing. Yeah, and I think you know I, I going back to this week where where Max Homa chipped in there on the eight, on the 18th hole or 72nd hole of the of the actual right. event. Yep. And you know that that was first of all that was that was a ridiculous series of events there in that last like five minutes of coverage. But it made me think of, you know, if someone's under the gun and they're, you're probably really not, at that point, you're probably not even thinking about the golf ball, right? They're just thinking of execution. But right. I know there was definitely some, I know looking back at some of the research I was doing, there's, there was a piece where I know it was, I think it was Azinger at one point, they accidentally switched to 90 for a hundred compression Titleist uh, at the time during one of the Ryder cups. And I think uh, it was Seve who called them out. And then, no, there's just and the actually the other one was too was Tiger and Phil going back to when Hal Sutton famously uh, terribly paired them together, and <laughs> Phil had Phil was had just signed with Callaway, so he's got a new golf ball, he got a bag full of new gear as well, which wasn't his it was not Callaway's fault. It's just that was the scenario at the time, right, leading into the into the Ryder Cup, and they didn't know that they were going to be paired together. And I guess Phil at the beginning of the week was like, okay, we're going to pair together for whatever I think it was alternate shot. The, the famous uh, clip where Phil hits one and Tiger does this like glare, like where the hell did that go look, which I think was probably the nicest thing that was probably going on in his head. If you, you don't want to kind of read minds there, but he had to go and actually like look, basically learn Tiger's ball. Cause he was very, he was always used a very spinny golf ball. So, you know, I think I thought that was very interesting because, you know, we actually talked about this before we got on, on, uh, on air. I want to say on air, we're not on radio <laughs> before we got online here, but, sound versus feel like that's a big part of the short game and you know we'll get into this after you know this little thing here but call more cow switch putters we talked about sound versus feel and golf ball makes such a big difference but you've actually done a lot of research on sound versus feel when it comes to golf balls in general from just a, an acoustics and a performance perspective right right so real quick back to the tiger thing the tiger phil that's actually an interesting one and i'll tell you why I think Tiger was playing the power fade back then, and Phil has always played the high draw. And you've got two golf balls that need to perform completely differently. And the high draw golf ball, um, you can get away with the ball that's a little bit more spinny. Uh, a spinnier golf ball on the on the power fade, it, it can be death. It just balloons on you. So that one is a really interesting one. Even off the tee, that could be problematic as far as how they put that into play. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in that sense, if you have two players that have completely different types of swings, it's not even just the short game, it's the mid irons, the long irons, um, and, and the drivers. So you could have all different types of scenarios where the ball just does not perform according to how that player's swing is set up. But um, to answer your question, I had a uh, I had someone come out about twenty years ago, and they were really fascinated about sound versus feel. And to give you like some background, it was really interesting. At the time, I had a client who had a magnesium driver. The thing was made out of one hundred percent magnesium. Magnesium has amazing weight properties, amazing. And so you can um, reallocate weight so that off-center hits give you really good performance characteristics. 
The problem with magnesium is it sounds like you're hitting the golf ball with a pillow. It is so deadening and dull. And so uh, this guy launched this product, smaller manufacturer, and he comes out to me in a panic, just a panic. And he goes, everybody's returning these and say it's 20 yards shorter. And I go, okay. So, you know, at the time I put on TaylorMade and Callaway, you know, his baselines. And then I put on his driver, exact same distance, same launch characteristics. And actually on off-center hits, had some better qualities. He was out of business in four months after that. And it was a function of sound. When players hear a dull sound, they think that the ball's not going further. Now go back even further on this. And this one is really interesting. This is a little inside uh, gossip, but I think the statute of limitations has run out so I can tell the story. Um, so Callaway, Dick Helmstetter shows up. I'm in my early to mid twenties. Dick Helmstetter was the vice president of research and development at Callaway. He used to come out and test with me personally. This is how small Callaway was back in the day. And, um, he pulls out the big Bertha and shows it to me. And I was the first one to test the big Bertha. So I tested probably 20 iterations of the Big Bertha before it was launched. And if you remember the Big Bertha originally, it would go, think it sounded like a Coke bottle when you hit it. And inside Callaway, they were freaking out about that sound because it um, everybody and, and sure enough, when they released it, the competitors criticized it and said, oh, that sounds like you're hitting a Coke bottle. Because everything else was persimmon back then. And it was actually more of a thudding sound of persimmon making contact with the golf ball. And they were experimenting with foaming the heads. They were experimenting with all these different things, thickening the walls, trying to deaden that sound because it was such a high-pitched sound. And Ely, in one of the most kind of gambling moments, right before they launched, there'd been all this debate in the company and, you know, they were sharing it with me because, you know, I was testing it weekly. They said, Ely decided that's our sound. We're going to be different and distinct and we're going with it. And that's one of those moments that in retrospect, you look at, he made the right call and he succeeded. But if he made the wrong call, it's like the magnesium driver. If everybody hated that sound, the club could have gone, it could have failed and golf would have gone in another direction. So. Sound is really, really fascinating. Now, let's get to the meat and potatoes of what we were talking about after my long-winded seat. This is where I go. Something shiny. I go chasing them, RB. No, uh, I, was, I, thought, I actually thought when you said calorie, I thought you were going to say the C4. That was on the opposite side, uh, the C4. The C4, yes, had completely deadened uh, characteristics, but... The crazy thing about the C4 was it had three to four miles an hour slower ball velocity than, than even the, the Callaway, pro, the, the, the titanium, I believe titanium was released right around that time. Not sure exactly on that timeline, but they're, they're, uh, even their products, it was three to four miles an hour slower. So that's what killed that one, probably in a combination with a combination of sound. So, um, so, uh, Client comes out, wants to test sound versus feel. We do it in driver faces. We do it with 
pinnacles versus baladas, you know, at the time. We do it um, with different inserts in putters. And uh, the way we tested is we would have one that was soft, say a golf ball, uh, one driver head that, that had a, a, a low sound and the other one had a high sound. And then a putter, one had a dull sound coming off an insert. And I think this was back in the Odyssey days when they were in, you know, introducing a lot of different inserts and then just, you know, typical um, uh, steel putter. 95% of players could identify the harder or the, the higher sound versus the lower sound. And then we took ear protection and put the, put it on and almost no players could tell the difference. And it was absolutely amazing. So, you know, from that, you know, I learned how critical sound is to perception not reality. That's the interesting part. It's perception. And now all of these major OEMs have acoustic departments and they all look at sound and sound. And I guarantee you, um, TaylorMade, and I don't have any evidence to back this up, but I, I, I'm willing to take this one to the bank that they looked at the acoustics really closely on the stealth drivers because they wanted to make sure that the sound was at a reasonable um, level that players were not going to get turned off by it. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think every company talks about it, and you think with consumers. I can remember when the very first G four twenty five videos came out, and people called it a loud driver, and they're listening to it through headphones and like just watching videos. I thought to myself, I don't really like. I don't hear it. I'm like, I'm not someone who's like. I would say that I'm perceptive to sound and, and feel, but when I was watching a video, I found it very difficult to like tune into that. And I don't know how people did it or what they did, but um, there's a famous story. I always remember, and I don't remember who the pro was. I wish, I wish I kind of could relate this back to an individual, but it was an early morning round of golf. It was cold and they put on, this is like back in persimmon era. And they had a, a toque on with some like ear, like thicker ear areas just to keep their, their ears warm. First he goes up, warms up, hits shots on the range. Doesn't really think about it. Gets to the first tee, throws the two cons, getting cold. He's out on the golf course now. He's not quite as surrounded uh, on the range. And hit shot basically strikes it down the middle. And literally two seconds after impact or a second after impact, he like swats away and looks at his caddy and is it's like, God, you miss hit it. And the caddy looked and he's like, What why we why did you just act like that? And he's like, Well, I just I don't know. I couldn't even see her. I could just his immediate reaction was he just mishit it so bad he didn't know where it went. And the caddy was like, you just hit it down the middle. You hit it perfect. And he realized very quickly, he's like, oh, because sh-, like, he didn't normally play with, uh, I guess, a toucan. <laughs> I call it a toque. You would call it a woolen cap in, in America. Uh, but you, you speak a strange language up I there. Know. But anyways, go ahead. But yeah, it's, I, 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 it's, it's Zeds and, and toques and all kinds of stuff about. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's one of those interesting things where like people don't really notice the difference. And I think putter inserts are a big one. That's why I always like I always kind of went back when I worked a lot of retail. I always thought that was one of the biggest reasons why Odyssey was such a huge seller. And not that it isn't now, anyways, but from a retail perspective, for like the average consumer, they'd walk in and on the putting green you had, because people steal good golf balls, crappy golf balls, firm golf balls that no one's really probably gonna take or they're logoed or something. And 
they come in and they find these soft insert putters like, wow, these feel really good. These feel really good. Because if you grab something that was a little firmer face, all of a sudden it's like, oh, it doesn't sound quite as good. And I always like, I think that's one of the biggest reasons why insert putters do so well, because if you look at the average golf consumer, they are not using a urethane golf. I've spent a lot of time out playing with random golfers and not a lot of people, as much as we encourage it, are not using premium golf balls. Uh, so because of that, there's this equation to like sound versus, oh, it feels soft, it feels soft. And that's why they go with something like that insert putter versus an all steel one. And not that I think just because of personal preference, but I always find that that really interesting because the one thing I know when talking to engineers from like certain OEMs, I don't want to name anyone here, but there is a, um, the rate, the impact ratio for, for putters is always really interesting because depending on the insert, if it's a single uh, layer or there, there'll be like dual durometer inserts as well, where the harder you swing, the longer the putt, the more energy you have to put in because that insert actually absorbs more impact than a firmer putter, which is basically going to have the same impact ratio all the way through if it's a very firm, like a steel putter, right? So there are putter, putter companies that will have some dual durometer or dual layer, layer inserts. So it feels soft and then behind the thin layer, as you get to a certain um, club head speed, and we're talking about putters here, but it reacts to that second boundary layer. So you get better impact ratios all the way through. So on short putts, you don't actually, you know, let's call it a one to five ratio. Well, you have to put it in, put in more energy because you're not getting that out of those longer putts, which having tried some really soft insert putters in the past, that's just, that was one thing it was, I found it very difficult to get over. But to me, it, it's one of those things where, you know, knowing your distances and knowing your feels, even on the green versus hitting those 50, 60, 70 yard pitch shots makes a big difference when they go to that. Because you if, if you got a 25 foot putt, if you can put it within 18 inches, that's going to be a lot more beneficial than putting it within 36. Now, what's interesting, what you just said, which would just make my head hurt, is if your uh, amount of power that you put into a putt is not linear to the distance that that putt goes, then, you know, you're going to have to intuitively learn, okay, you know, when I'm going after say a 70 foot putt, I'm going to get more energy transfer and I could potentially blow it 10, 15 feet pie. Is that kind of what I'm understanding? Opposite. Oh, opposite. the opposite. So okay. the, the okay. more you put in, you actually, it, the more the putter actually absorbs actually energy. Absorbs. The, okay. Yeah, so so you it's actually not have to trampolining. Put in... It's actually just absorbing it at that point. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I thought, I thought that was fascinating because it is like on the greens, I think distance control is so important. And, you know, most of the time I'm just practicing like 10 footers. But, you know, I think I think that's why you see certain players stick with certain putters for a really long period of time if they are an insert model, because they're so used to hitting certain distances using that style of putter versus something else that, you know, that's why you you do see those players use those those style of putters for a long period of time. And why you have the single piece milled face putters out there for in the bag just as often. You don't see a lot of insert players switch to other putters and you don't see a lot of putters who use different, like a full stainless, stainless steel or some type of steel or metal on the face, go to a soft insert putter. It's uh, it's pretty uncommon, I would say in, in general. But uh, before we get to our next topic, speaking of distance control, I have to let you know that the fully equipped podcast is brought to you by Rapsodo and their all new MLM mobile launch monitor, the number one rated personal launch monitor on the market today. Features incredibly precise measurements, remarkable accuracy, data rich visuals, and new performance combines. The MLM is the mobile launch monitor to help the grinders, the range rats, and the golf junkies get better by delivering more insights and structure to every practice session. 
By pairing a Doppler radar within the unit with an iPhone or iPad camera, the Rapsodo MLM ensures that every golf ball is tracked with incredible accuracy, including with this, MLM offers shot tracing for every shot and visual charts to help you better understand your consistency for accuracy as well as distance with every club. The pro-level data and metrics provide measurable and actual feedback to make practice sessions smarter, more structured, and more focused towards improvement. Now, the other addition to this is, is the all-new Performance Combine tool, which is now available for MLM Premium subscribers. New Performance Combine features 24-shot tests at two targets and to different uh, including your driver to identify a golfer's biggest strengths and weaknesses so you know where to work on your game. It was co-designed by trusted golf expert, Dr. Sasha McKenzie, Canadian, by the way. Uh, that's not part of the read. Uh, Performance Combine utilized over 100,000 shots from PGA Tour level data and 20 years of data directly from Dr. McKenzie's work with all the different skill levels and handicaps so you can practice and work smarter. Practice with a purpose every time you hit the range better practice, better scoring, better results. Now, if you go to rapsoto.com slash fully equipped and use the promo code fully equipped, that is F-U-L-L-Y-E-Q-U-I-P-P-E-D, you get $100 off the MLM right now. Rapsoto is also offering a 30% off bundle discount for MLM on their premium subscription. So fully equipped listeners have the opportunity to save up to $130 total with the purchase of the bundle package. Stop wasting your time on the range with ineffective practice that doesn't lead to improvement. Get a wrap soda MLM today and plan for lower scores. There we I go. Just mar- I just marvel at you, my man. Just marvel. You are the transition master. Look, I give not, it to not, you. I give it to you. Not that I'm ever asking for it, or nor will I discourage any tor- any sort of uh, adver- adver- uh, advertisement. But the one thing I never want to read is the legalese that follows a gambling ad. <laughs> I'd rather just hit a button on that or, or re-record that. So you can name the states and name the way you can do it and name all those things. That's uh, well, that's kind of one of the last things I want to do. Hopefully, hopefully we'll never be sponsored by uh, some sort of drug manufacturer. And this drug may cause seizures, may cause a oh, third yeah. ear to grow out of the top of your head. Your eye might start poking off at 45 degrees. If you feel numbness in any part of your body, go straight to a doctor. Those are always my favorite. I'm listening to that and I'm like, I'm never putting that in my mouth. I don't want that. So yeah. Well, you know, I could I could make another reference to where Homer has that that uh, growing hair shampoo or whatever it was, and then they do the fake commercial at the end, uh, and they say may result in loss of scalp. <laughs> if you're looking yeah. for that, there's one more thing that you could possibly lose, but I'm not going to say it here because well, then well, you'll ever, always hope- have that sound bite, and I'm never going to say it. <laughs> I hope. Uh, I actually kind of hope we do get sponsored by some drug manufacturer because you're going to have the weirdest segue into that <laughs> imaginable. Is your elbow sore after that last shot? Let me tell you about something, folks. <laughs> okay, uh, we'll get back on track here. So the one thing that I thought focus, was... Focus, focus, we're focusing. focus. We're, we're in here focused. Uh, so the other thing that, uh, you know, speaking of new clubs and, and, you know, we saw a lot of stuff come up on the on the conforming list this past week you know we're always keeping an eye on that because we are getting into that time of the season we have seen some i would say pre-embargo pictures kind of end up out there on the internet uh whether you want to go find them or not that's up to you and uh, jonathan mentioned last week and had a little soundbite which i thought was uh not necessarily fun for the the employee we were talking about from i don't know a decade ago now at this point but um you know breaking those embargoes for us is uh is a big no-no in the industry and i know um it's kind of one of those things that I always joke about and, you know, stuff shows up and it's like, I got, I got it right here, but I'm not going to take a picture of it. Cause that's not, uh, that's not my job to do that. Not my responsibility, but 
weekend, getting back new clubs, getting back to the President's Cup. We saw uh, this week that, you know, talking about field, talking about putters, uh, Colin Morikawa just put in a new tailor-made uh, Soto blade. Uh, leading into this week, he's used a bunch of different stuff. He's used the forward CG Spider. He's used um, a long neck Soto before, which is completely opposite of the one he's got now, which is like more of the flow neck. So there's a lot, um, a lot more toe flow or toe hang, whatever reference you want to use. Um, and the previous one before that was a plumber's neck, which is the one that goes up, comes out 90 degrees that you'd see on most answer style putters. I would. I'll give credit to Ping because it is the answer style. They kind of invented that thing. Um, but going to this putter is interesting because, he's, you know, I, I always find like going back and forth between toe hang and not toe hang. No, uh, I feel like players should generally fit into something. But I also feel, you know, we talked about Phil earlier talking about him playing with Tiger. He used everything from the F- Futura, that big massive thing with the back wing on it or back circle all the way to like a Napa style blade or a number nine Odyssey blade at this point, like he's used everything and they're all designed for different stroke types, but you've got, you know, you've got your own opinion on that. Don't you Gene, when it comes to fitting for stroke type and putter? Well, you know, it's interesting. So, you know, our robot can uh, swing everything from a driver through a putter. And so we've tested everything and the most difficult shot for us is the 135, 140 mile an hour driver swing. I mean, it feels like a gun's going off, right? And everything's got to be perfect. And, you know, quarter inch differences make massive differences in flight characteristics, direction, etc. You get down to a putter, it's really simple. You control two things, speed and direction. And what I've found in testing of putters, to to your point, if you've got something that works for you, and kind of like what we were talking about earlier, inserts versus not, you stick with it because it's about delivering the club head consistency consistently and understanding uh, what velocity you need to put on it. You know, Brant Snedeker, one of the you know, top putters, you know, when, when he was playing really well, stabbed at the ball. Some players, you know, come, come straight across. Tiger talks about he has closure on his putts. So his putts go from open to closed, and there's a slight amount of side spin on them. Um, there are certain characteristics that we look at. For example, uh, loft angle is a classic one. So what happens when you hit a ball with the putter is the ball leaves with backspin. So it actually flies through the air for a very short period of time based on the loft of the putter. And then you have what's called skid. And skid is this period where the ball lands and it starts to make its transition from backspin to uh, topspin. Or, uh, yes, topspin. And then the ball rolls with topspin all the way to the hole. You might also have a little bit of a side spin component or a spin axis component, but that's basically a putt right there. You are controlling based on your putter and some people forward press their putters to take that loft angle off. And that makes that transition from the launch to the topspin in that skid much quicker. Other players like to get the ball in the air a little bit and have it bounce a few times before it starts. but. You only control two things, how fast you bring that putter in 
and what the face angle is when it comes in. Um, once you understand that, then you can basically, oh, and then let me back up a little bit. Mallet putters will give you a little bit more forgiveness on off-center hits based on the MOI of the putter um, and, and, and the amount of mass. But they also, because putter faces are flat, can create a little bit of gear effect. So sometimes when we test uh, certain mallet putters, when we hit the ball on the toe, the ball will end up, and this is on like a 15-foot putt, the ball can end up two inches to the left of the hole. And when we hit the ball on the heel, the ball can end up two inches right of the hole. Most traditional putters, when you hit the ball on the toe, they'll end up slightly right on the heel, slightly left. So you you can have a little bit of a performance uh, difference between different styles of putters. But overall, if you have a putter that works or a style that works, stick with that for your swing because you're only controlling two things. And by um, and and this is going to sound a little sacrilegious, and I know most of the listeners won't listen anyways because for some reason everybody just wants to switch the putter out and you know get that new bojo. And and the reality is that actually may work because that's between the years and if it gives you that confidence back that's probably more critical than all of these things that i'm describing combined but at the end of the day if you've got something that works and you understand it you are only controlling two um variables when it comes to the physics of the head ball uh collision to get that ball rolling well, as you can see behind me, Gene, I've got a nice collection of things that may not always get used all the time, but they they do exist. Now, some are just kind of old ones for fun, but yeah, there's a, there's like 15 putters behind me right now. Well, you're you're you you are what we affectionately call in the business a psycho, a crazy, and you know what? It's people like you. It's our listeners, to be honest. Hey, they put a roof over my head for 33 years. So, you know, I'm uh, I, I'm I'm not going to slam anybody who wants to do it. I, I just I kind of, you know, I try to give my perceptions of what I've seen. And my big thing is, uh, you know, trying to find the signal through the noise. What is the truth? But the reality is, if you want a shiny new toy. Go out and buy a shiny new toy, you know, <laughs> if you want something that makes you feel better, or if you're just, you know, for whatever reason, not feeling it with that piece of equipment, by all means, because, you know, we in the industry say thank you for that. But I, I do believe, though, that um, once you've found a style of putter that really works for you, I would recommend sticking with that unless you dramatically change, you know, if you take lessons and change your putting stroke. Um, you may want to experiment with different putters, but if you've been putting the same way, um, you know, for the extended length of time, then you should at least stay in that same style, you know, moving forward. That was one of the, the things that I, and this is where I would have, I'd be very curious to ask Chris about this, um, is my experience when working with, with fitting is, you know, people are always looking for a new driver. When they come in, it's like, I want a new driver. I'm not here. Yeah. There are some people who come in and they say, I want to see if I can get this one fit or get a new shaft for this. Like it's only a couple of years old. I just want to, I want to get on a launch monitor with a fitter and really dial this thing in. I find that it works well, but with a putter, it's, it's like, it's, it's A or B. It's very binary. I find where people either like, I like this putter. I just want to check it. 
and I want to spend some time on like a Quintic or a Foresight or some type of, of high-speed camera unit just to get it dialed in for Lion Loft, or I'm looking for something completely different because I suck. And I have found that in some cases, a lot of times what a player is really looking for is just something that has a little bit more forgiveness in style, or as I you know we talked about many times before as well, is how they use alignment. Um, I know myself personally, like the way my eyes work, I'm right eye dominant. I do not use the flange lines. I use the, the top line and the club face. So if I have a putter that has a, a high toe on it, in some cases it will look close to me, or if it doesn't, or if it has a rounded profile, like if it's a putter that has more of a rounded top line, it looks closed because that toe is coming in. And that's why you see it with drivers. A lot of times you'll see the paint or you'll see the, the kind of curve around on the toe. It gives that more open appeal at a or more open look at a dress because for alignment and all of those kind of different elements. But I, I do find it, I find the alignment side really fascinating because I would say this year, two things have changed with my golf game. And I noticed this by using my like little, um, my Arco stat tracking was my putting sucked. It really wasn't very good. And the beyond a putter change, what I also had, cause I had a hard time tracking one of these things down, uh, last year was an actual just change in putter grip. So the new putter came with a new grip. I want to try something bigger. I want to try something that like a super stroke style. I thought, okay, just give in, get a bigger putter grip. The worst you can do is like, just get on, put a smaller grip on it night and day. And, uh, last, last week I played in an, like in my act, an actual event, which I haven't played for in years and years and years. And I can only tell you, Gene, that first 18 inch putt that actually mattered, which I've had to stand over. And I was like, I, I hit the, I think I hit the first one by like 18 or 20 inches by. And, uh, I went to myself and I thought, oh shit, I actually had to hit the bottom of the cup with the ball. <laughs> if I play my buddies, we just scoop them. We've been scooping them. I've been right. scooping it for four years. Right. I got up and I was like, oh crap. Okay. Got over the ball. And I like, it, it was fascinating to have the confidence just with a, a grip change and a, and a slight change to the putter style. But I really do think it was the grip that made such a massive difference because it just, it changed the feel. It changed the way I felt like my hand pressure, all that stuff. I mean, I got a bunch of putters behind me that have all very similar grips, but the one that's in my bag is different and there's a reason for it. And I think, you know, looking at Colin's putter, he's basically stuck to a, a slight, he had a claw, he had a claw before he's gone back. So he's using more of the, like the thinner, the smaller style super stroke again. And, you know, much to the point of the insert, you don't see players switch putter grips very often. I know we talk about Tiger a lot because pe most people can reference Tiger just because they followed him throughout his uh, career. But he's used that tiny ping putter grip throughout almost his entire career, except for a short period of time when he was like, you know, probably Steve Stricker got in his head. And he started using that Lampkin deep etch cord grip that Stricker used on his old putter for like literally forever. Um, when he used the tailor-made putter, I think he went to that. But even then, when you want confidence, players go back to that one. And I think that that's a fascinating thing. But speaking to, I, I actually, I want to ask for this. You ever tried a putter that had uh roll on it? Like heel toe curvature to help yes, with that? Yes. Yes. That was yes. like the first thing I'm like, okay, I, the nerd question is, cause I have an anecdote after this, but I want to get your, like, have you ever tested? Yes. Putter like that? Yes. Um, God, I'm trying to think they were out of San Jose. There was a, uh, there was a company, uh, I can't remember their name now, but they had roll on it. And it did, once again, it... Uh, you're not thinking teardrop with like the big, like no, teardrop had basically no, no. the round face. No, I'll think of their name. It's I, For some reason, it starts with an A, but anyways, I don't want to waste time on that. But yes, we have tested that. 
And like anything, you hit it a little higher, it, it gets a little bit more loft. You hit it a little lower, it starts to skid a little bit earlier. The problem with that is uh, putting's hard enough as it is to even know where you're hitting on the equator. And now you're adding in another variable into it. But uh, to, to your point, what I think is interesting, and I think you raised a really good point, is alignment now alignment is really difficult i mean i don't know maybe i'm sure optometrists could probably figure it out but you know from from my testing perspective it's really difficult to quantify what makes uh an alignment on a putter work for you and not for me and vice versa but that is something there is a variety of different alignment aids built into putters and I think that is worth in, uh, investigating when you're looking at a new putter in addition to the style, because it is really, really critical. And, you know, I, I did that piece with J-Wall when Zalatoris missed the, the putt. Now, part of that was pressure as well on 18 and Tory, And he had a mallet that had gear effect and the ball ended up. And I don't know what the break was on that putt, but I've hit that putt at Torrey and it's uphill for the most part. It doesn't seem like there's break. He missed it almost an inch on the toe and the ball ended up over there. I think that was more pressure, but for the average player, alignment can also cause that. And it is so critical to be able to bring that club head back consistently in the same location and proper alignment is, is critical to that. The one thing I don't, really like when I see putter fittings is when you're trying to, and I, and I understand it can work for some people is the static alignment of trying to find a target line. Now I understand for like, let's say it's a, a putt within five feet where you're, you're literally is just a, let's call it a straight putt within five feet where you're trying to basically point the putter at the hole. But the problem is what it doesn't take into account is the stroke type which you mentioned before. And I think that kind of follows in through the, the rest of the fitting because there's a time when I, I used to cut across putts. Mm-hmm. Literally, I would kind of like, you know, you, you kind of joked about my driver swing the other day, um, but like to literally hold off a putter face and almost hit like these little cuts, that's what it felt like. It felt like I had an in to out um, mm-hmm. or out to in putter stroke a little bit. But you mentioned it earlier is, you know, some people come through square, some people hit a little bit up on it. And if you look at high-speed camera, just like a forehand in tennis, the more you can create, the, the faster you can create topspin and eliminate skid, the more that ball is going to roll truer, right? Some players, I think, I want to say it was Rory's talked about it, like up and out, like it actually, they're hitting the ball as the, as the putter is traveling in this direction, or I guess this direction, I'm trying to mirror the camera here, or in an audio medium, but like, it, it almost looks in slow motion like they're hitting a slight draw with the putter because it's coming up and the putter is traveling out of the tar- outside of the target line to hit it that way. You see uh, Billy Mayfair was a famous cutter of the putt. You ever see his putting stroke? It's like way across it. Uh, Snedeker mm-hmm. almost down yep. into it, like with a pop yep. stroke. Well, I, and I, Palmer, Palmer was the same way. Palmer yeah. used to have that, you know. Even uh, I, I know, I guess I think I don't know. It must be the it must have been like the, the grass type or something like that back in back in the day. Well, no, the the I mean, back, you know, my father told me he said, you know, uh, the greens of yesterday were today's fairways, 
I mean, you know, they were so much slower that you had to hit the ball hard to get it to get it moving. And um, and so that was, you know, the cause of a lot of that or the reason for a lot of that. But, you know, yes, there's a multitude of strokes. The key is consistency of your stroke and knowing your line and distance control. You got those things. You're going to be a good putter. Hands down. So I asked about the like bulge and roll on a on a like putter face that we if you've ever seen that before but um what i have seen in the past is uh putter or fairy woods that have very limited roll so the law from the top to the bottom is is pretty consistent i know tom wish on back in the day um had a line of, of fairy woods that had very limited roll on it it was relatively straight so hit it low you wouldn't get the low launch you'd, you'd actually get some higher launch and higher spin versus the lower launch and higher spin, the way the uh, gear effect works off the fairway. At least that, that's, what the, that's what the marketing material said. Um, but the anecdote I have from that is, you know, you talk about bulge and roll, or, or not, but sorry, a very flat putter face and how you get that gear effect, which is why you see curvature on a driver, because mm-hmm. you want it to start out. And that's why we see things like twist faced or uh, Cobra had E9 or like these different variations of, of bulge and roll. But speaking to Tom, I remember hearing a story. I don't know if it was he brought, it was a persimmon back in the day or is this driver prototype that he created. And basically there was no bulge from heel to toe. It was, it was perfectly flat. And he brought it out to this like PJ event. He was talking to people and he was kind of, he didn't tell anybody what it was and he just handed it to somebody because the goal was to have people hit it and like basically miss shots and then explain the club fitting process or the club design process to this group of players. And the first guy steps up and hits it dead off the nuts and it went perfectly straight. And he just went, well, that didn't go as planned. <laughs> he goes, you, know, a- you have no idea how good that shot was. And the guy was like, well, what do you mean? I just hit it straight. And he goes, yeah, but you know, if you had missed that by like, I don't know, a quarter of an inch, you would have seen the thing just, just like tail off one way or the other. Uh, I think some more colorful language uh, might've been said at the time, but I always, I always find that pretty fascinating because again, we died, we've kind of div- uh, dove into the like the technology behind like faces of, of drivers talking about magnesium. We've talked about putters and inserts and all these different things, but that simple curvature makes such a huge difference. I know TaylorMade kind of blew it out when they talked about twist face and how they offer that, but all that really is, is a modified bulge and roll geometry of the club face to help with, with start line to get the ball back to target. No, a hundred percent. And you know, Bulge and roll is something from a design, you know, the average consumer really, they don't understand. They, they we're in the weeds played. at this point, Gene. Yeah, we, <laughs> we're really in the weeds. Half of our audience is completely tuned out at this point. I should start making chip noises to keep the rest of them in, engaged. But um, no, so uh, I had a client come out one time and he had a patent on a flat face driver. And I was like, I was young back then. I was in my like mid to late twenties and he comes out and he's like, I patented this driver. This driver is guaranteed all these things. And he was, uh, he wasn't, he wasn't in the golf industry, but he was a aeronautical engineer and he was very bright, you know, worked for big Boeing or somebody like that. Anyways, we show up, he shows up, we hit the ball three quarters of an inch on the toe and then three quarters of an inch on the toe back then there was decent gear effect. The ball would start out about maybe 20, 30 feet right and would curve right back to target line. And heel shots would start left and 
curve back to target line. We hit the ball on the toe and it went almost 50 yards to the left. I mean, just <laughs> duck hooked. And then we hit the ball on the heel and it went 50 yards to the right. It, you know, back to your with Sean, what he was expecting. And this guy just sat there in horror. And he was like, it wasn't supposed to do that. And then he starts throwing me under the bus. Well, something's wrong with your machine. And back in the day, that was the go-to, you know, it was like, well, obviously your equipment's not working. So at that point, I would take a, you know, contemporary driver of the time period, put it in. Sure enough, the ball would go. Then we'd put his driver back in and it would do it. She quickly realized, you know, it wasn't the uh, the machine, but it was uh, an amazing kind of educational experience for me because I'd always heard about bulge and roll, but I'd never seen the actual effects. Uh, it's kind of like the RNA has uh, these golf balls that they do for demonstrations. Uh, they have one golf ball that has no dimples. So it's, it's, it's like a cue ball and it goes out and just showing the effects of dimples and it goes out on the same trajectory as a golf ball. And at about 40 to 50 yards straight down. Yeah. And then they have a and then they have a golf ball that has dimples on one side and not on the other. And they'll put it on one side and show what it does, and then put it on the other side. So uh it, it, it's things like that that uh really kind of give you a sense of what these kind of finely tuned aspects of a golf club that most players don't even think about really apply. And it's also interesting kind of based on trends. For example, a lot of better players clubs, you know, so kind of the tour models or the better player models of these OEMs, when you hit the ball on the toe, they will have a bulge and CG characteristics, center of gravity characteristics. So the ball stays out maybe 10, 15 yards to the right. And when you hit the ball on the heel, the ball will have gear effect, come back about maybe five, seven yards to the left. And the reason for that and the design philosophy is a lot of better players swing inside out. And because they swing inside out, what do they fear? The big left miss. So they try to design off-center hit characteristics to minimize the big left. So if you hit the ball on the toe, it minimizes that gear effect coming out by staying on that line to the right. And if you hit it on the heel, it's traveling to the um, it's traveling to the right as it is. So it minimizes that left, which they fear. That's that's the one thing I've always loved about modern drivers is uh, being as a kid who's trying to hit it further. I always tried to play a draw, but I learned as I got a little older to to hit a fade and. If you can oh, find a driver way, that for the listen for the listeners at home, he hits the weirdest fade on the planet. He hits a fade that he comes so far from the outside, it's almost a huge slice. But then he swings up on the ball about what? What did we figure? Two to three degrees up, and hits this high, booming, nice fade that he hits forever. It's it's I I I. I I stand in awe of your golf swing. Go ahead, though. I, I could use a six degree. There. I could use like a six degree driver, and because I, I totally because that's could. what happens. It's it's such a funny, weird little thing. Um, but yeah, like that hitting that heel shot to me is like such a safe little shot. I think that's why you will you'll see players tee a little lower and just kind of hit that that low 
um, penetrating shot because they they know that it, that's what it's going to do, right? I think that's why a lot of players have that as a as a safe shot versus oh, I'm going to try and hit this knuckling draw at this point. Uh, you really don't see that too too much anymore, but you don't want to see the less. I know. Um, I think I, I I feel like I said this last week, but I remember playing and I hit like back to back holes. I hit like basically a toey draw where basically I lined up face and path, which I wasn't trying to do. And I was like, I haven't seen the left side of a golf course in a long time. And I literally aimed it out over the water thing. You'd cut back and I hit it straight and it just plowed it right into the middle of this pond. And I thought, well, that was unique. <laughs> I haven't done that in a while, <laughs> but it is, it, it goes to show like when, when companies are designing these products, they're looking at the, the, the target consumer. And I think if you look at, um, you look at certain companies now, like they've got, now, I know Callaway's got a bunch of different models out there for their tour players. They, they openly talk about it because they are designed, they have like some very specialty models for some of the best players in the world. Uh, Xander's got like a, a little slightly smaller headed driver with a different face progression, meaning the, the hosel is a little further back, I think, from the actual club face. But all in all, what, these, what they do is when you're talking about, a, uh, let's call it a player's model, a standard model, and a max model, which you see from most companies, we do see a little like we do see different face like face bulge and roll designs because of who they're designing for. And a lot of times the max model is designed for a slower speed. So you see a little bit less of the bulge and roll because they know that someone's less speed is going to create less gear effect. Naturally, they're going to create less deflection and the ball should inherently fly straighter. And that to me is like the fascinating part of this. And, and Callaway's talked about it. We've seen other companies talk about it as far as like face design as they've gotten better understanding the player that it's intended for, the more they are designing individual models with different titles talked about with their new drivers. Like we know that this player generally hits here. This has a different face insert versus this has a different face insert. Some of the Callaway apex irons, the four iron is different from the pitching wedge. To me, that is where you don't necessarily see the technology. They're obviously talking about it, but the, the internal technology that we don't see is the thing that's helping golfers, through different uh, uh, skill levels or different uh, like misses, however you want to categorize them, is really seeing the benefit to those golfers because again, you don't see it on the outside, but on the inside, there's a lot of stuff going on in there that's actually benefiting a very particular target player. Which before it used to be, well, you stiff or regular? <laughs> you st- do you want a cavity back or do you want a smaller cavity back or do you want a blade? Like, what is it going to be? Whereas now there's all this different segmentation, which I think is probably the biggest people always ask, what's the biggest advancement in golf equipment? I think it's the segmentation for fitting that makes the biggest difference. And I'm sure you see that when you're testing gear. hundred percent agree. And it's, um, you know, it's fascinating. You know, I go so far back that, you know, I go back to the days that whoever won on Sunday sold on Monday. And um, when Jumbo almost won the masters, I think he, I think it was a Bridgestone product that he had and it was a, it was a composite and it was like a six or seven degree lofted head. They only sold it in the six or seven degree lofted model. And (laughs) this was pre Cal, this was pre big Bertha and they sold out overnight, just sold out because he was hitting the ball so far and everybody was amazed. And they return like 90% of the product. And the reason was nobody could hit a seven degree lofted driver, especially back then with, you know, low launching on the Baladas anyway. 
And Bridgestone came out to me, another one in horror. And, you know, we put it on the machine and sure enough, the ball went out like this. And, you know, the, the competitors, Wilson, Spalding and McGregor of the day, you know, had nice trajectories. Um, but it shows you where the industry was back then. And the reality is, if you took up golf before 1990 or maybe even 2000, it was a hard game because a lot of the equipment was missed you know, fit. There were very few people that really were dialed in. Now it's still a hard game, but equipment is really advancing. It may not hit the ball further than it did last season, or it may not hit the ball further than it did two seasons ago, but it's going to give you some performance characteristics that are going to allow you to hit more fairways when you miss hit the ball it's going to go further, it's going to go higher, or it's going to go lower based on your swing type, to your point about segmenting the, uh, the different uh, aspects of the marketplace. And in doing so, you are going to find a club that is most advantageous for your individual golf swing. Well, folks, I'm not going to finish on anything stronger than that. So... Uh... <laughs> So with it, I think it's a good time to call episode 158 of Fully Equipped. Again, shout out to our, our co-hosts who are not here, Chris and Jonathan. Uh, you know, hopefully I'm we'll going catch on them. vacation. You want to go on vacation next week, yeah. RB? Let those guys deal with this on their own. Yeah. <laughs> we don't, maybe we'll, uh, it'll just be Mark. Mark playing reruns. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll, we'll, throw in a, we'll throw in a new ad read for it. But uh, no, that was, I, I love that. That was, a, that was a great way to finish it off. And Gene, always appreciate talking to you because, you know, if there's, if there's one other person that will go, or at least try to go head to head with you when it comes to talking old gear and gear stories, I'll, I'll always do my best. So uh, with always, that, always a pleasure, my man. Thank you for keeping me contained and semi on track today. <laughs> sounds good. Thanks again, Gene. 